deck was Farm Calls, where we take horse owners along with us to discuss important topics on equine health and care with industry experts. Today, we're talking to Dr. Amy McLean of the University of California, Davis, about donkeys and mules. Equus Farm Calls is brought to you in 2022 by Farm, the makers of Weight Builder Equine Weight Sullivan. Horses with a high caloric demand can be hard to keep weight on. When your horse needs help maintaining weight, incorporating fat into his diet can safely add calories without the risk of digestive upset. Weight Builder Equine Weight Supplement contains 50% fat with no sugar added to help maintain optimal weight and body condition. One daily scoop provides high-fat calories rich in omega-3 fatty acids to promote a healthy skin and glossy coat and deliver a calming energy for performance. Ideal for performance horses, mature horses, underweight horses, and seniors. I'm Kim Brown, the group publisher of the Equine Health Network. Dr. McLean received her BS in Animal Science with an equine emphasis at the University of Georgia. She received her master's from the University of Georgia and her PhD from Michigan State University. Her research interests include improving equid management, behavior, and welfare, with a specific interest in donkeys, mules, hennies, and working equids in developing countries. Thank you, Dr. McLean, for joining us today on Equus Farm Calls to talk about donkeys and mules. Well, thank you, Kim, for having me. I'm really delighted to be here and hopefully share some knowledge with donkey and mule owners today. Well, we know that there's a lot of horse owners that either have gotten or are interested in getting a donkey or a mule or a miniature donkey, whether for a pet or as a sure-footed mount. But horse owners need to be aware that horses are different from horses in behavior and physiology. And Dr. McLean, not only do you study and work with donkeys and mules, but you're an owner. So tell us a little bit about your mule. Yes, thanks, Kim, for asking um, about him. His name is Big Star Sarge. And um, I actually grew up on a donkey and mule farm in Georgia. So I've been around them all of my life. Um, But I still have a mule that I ride and show and compete with. Um, And, you know, it's not like owning a horse. And in California, it's hard to own land. So when I was looking for a boarding facility, you know, I, I had to tell people up front, hey, I have a mule. <laughs> They're not quite like a horse. And um, people assume that they are. But, you know, there, there's a lot of differences. And um, to me, one of the most unique things about owning a donkey or a mule, but especially the mules, I feel like they really bond with their owner if they approve of their owner and they create um, just an unrecognizable level of trust. And I I really appreciate that and enjoy that, that special bond that I've created with this mule, Big Star Sarge, as well as some other mules. Um, But yeah, I I really enjoy having a mule because it also, in, in my opinion, it pushes you to be a better equestrian, a better athlete because if you own a mule and you show on the show circuit, which also takes you all around the U.S., there's <laughs> those we go to back in Tennessee and Oklahoma, Texas, and then we have a great circuit here in California with the American Mule Association. But um, in a weekend, it's nothing to show in maybe 20 or 30 classes and do everything from working hunter, raining, ranch classes, driving, pleasure trail with the same mule and 
So it really pushes you to to be a great writer. And um, I take lessons with multiple um, trainers to try to improve my Western um, events. I picked up cutting this year, which was so much fun. Um, <laughs> Sarge is 16'3", so he's not exactly what you would think of for cutting horse or cutting mule. But um, he grew up in Virginia on a Black Angus ranch, and he actually is very drawn to cattle and did a good job for a big young guy. Um, but that was just something new that we tried and did for our all-around competition. So um, I just love mules. I really love them. And it's a lot of fun getting to go to some of the places I go on earth and, and share with owners and veterinarians. You know, mules can also be performance animals just like a fancy show jumper or fancy quarter horse my mule can be just as fancy and I think that um in some situations I think it really helps them um increase you know just the importance of the mules in their own country that are maybe still used in a beast of burden capacity and that's the only way they've seen mules or thought of mules before yeah my my daughter had a wonderful um mare mule that she used to get laughed at and she's sweet. She brought her little mule, her, well, she wasn't a little mule. She was kind of like yours. She was about 16 hands, but she brought her mule to the, the show and she would go out and do the different classes and it'd come time for the little hunter course, you know, and so she'd throw her English saddle. But the thing about mules is they are just so steady. I mean, and she would beat all these English gals, you know, in these little hunter classes. And, you know, then they had a little different respect for <laughs> Yeah. Maggie the mule. I mean, she was amazing, but she also was, I mean, she was like your, she, she had been raised around cattle. So she was very, you know, cow savvy and she actually enjoyed it. She thought it was fun pushing something else around for a while. Cause I mean, that's one of the things we're going to talk about today is, you know, behavior and temperament and even pecking order. So let's, let's start with behavior because as, as I said, asses are different from horses so tell us a little bit about the temperament and the mindset because you know we hear oh mules are stubborn but that's really not the case no it's really not people i feel like oftentimes um you know they think poorly of mules or donkeys because they're actually very cautious and very smart and there's been a couple of studies that have looked at their ability to reason and when a mule stops and they don't do maybe exactly what you're asking them to do, it's because they're taking a moment to go, now, should I do this? And is there a better way to do this? Uh, but once you teach them to do something, um, it really sticks with them, good or bad. <laughs> so <laughs> if you don't train them the correct way or they get away with something, they're going to continue to do that. But I really think their level or the idea that they're stubborn is confused with actually a level of caution and um, their ability to reason and being actually very smart animals. Yeah, I am. Uh, I had a really good friend that, that has owned and trained mules uh, for decades. And what he said was the best thing about mules is they're not going to let the human get them in trouble. <laughs> That they'll think sometimes better than the human. Yes, that's that's right. And, and I really um I used to go on pack trips in the summer for UC Davis. We had a program in the back country with a, a pack or a group down in Bishop, California. And I always requested a mule. I wasn't about the ride through the Sierra on a horse. 
and they have some wonderful horses that take guests out, but there's just nothing that beats a mule on a trail, especially a mountainous trail, because they're going to self-preserve, and through that process, they're going to take care of you, and and just even the way they negotiate a trail and the way they walk, their movement feels different. And I, and I think, too, that's the reason they've grown in popularity. So much of our equine industry is really focused not on showing or, or racing, but really in the recreational riding. And people want a safe and trusty trail mount. And yeah. there's a reason we see mules in the Grand Canyon and not yes. horses. Yes. And that is that is so true. And plus the fact some of the train, I mean, I, I ride here in Wyoming, you know, trails a lot. And I, I've owned horses and, of course, I've ridden mules. My daughter has mules. But, um, you know, you'll be going up the trail and you'll be doing all your little switchbacks on your horse. And the mules will literally stop and go, yeah, it looks like a lot of work. And just like cut up the side of the hill and cut off like four switchbacks. And it's nothing to them because the footing it's fine for them. Yes. Yep. That goes back to the mule trying to find another way to do things. And you know, and some people, I I will also say a disclaimer, Kim, for mules and donkeys, they're not for everybody because some people do not want an animal smarter than them. And I don't mean to offend any viewers, but our listeners, but that, that is the case. Our horses, I think, are so easy to mold them into asking them to do things. And, you know, they're just really good partners in that way. But a mule or donkey, they may not do it. And that's where, again, the stubborn as an ass and the butt of all the jokes comes from. But they're really thinking, should I do this? Is this safe? And for an animal that evolved in the desert like the donkey, their natural instinct is to fight and conserve energy. And a mule being half horse, half donkey they they have some of those similar traits so you just have to respect their origin where they evolved from yeah that um the mare mule that my daughter had she actually when she first moved to wyoming she um was a, a guide up on one of the mountain resorts she was a dude wrangler and they, you know they, the wranglers always go out and take the horses and the mules and so forth and she was allowed to take her own animals up with her <clears throat> and they were came out on a mountain meadow and the lead wrangler was like, come on, let's go across the meadow. And Maggie, the mule went, "Mm, no, I don't think we should do that. And Barbara's like, you know, she thinks we should skirt around this meadow. And of course the wrangler starts in on the, ah, you know, kind of thing. And he, he's, he's a pretty big cowboy and he driving a, a draft cross and he takes off there and sinks his horse all the way up to its belly. So, you know, of course, Maggie was great on helping pull him out because mules are also very strong. So they're great for larger riders and packing and stuff. But, yeah, and after that, it was like, if Maggie don't want to go, we don't go. We don't go. Right. Listen to the mule. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, others that have said that they have had mules keep them out of quicksand before. You know, they go to a river crossing and the mule goes, "Mm, I don't think so. And so they'll... Like walk them up the river for a little while, and the mule goes, "Okay, we can go across here." Off they go, and then somebody else is like, "Mule!" and boop, there they go sinking. You have to go pull them out. So yeah, there's, there's that's that's awesome. But there's also, like you said, they're not for everybody because they are they are a different kind of critter. So let's talk a little bit about dealing with a mule or a donkey. If you're not familiar with them, how do you go greet one? How do you? I mean. There's, of course, there's a reason that 
that mules and donkeys as asses, you know, they you have to train them to accept dogs and some of them never will. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Um, I'll speak on the dog factor first. So my mule, um, Sarge, Big Star Sarge, is a saint around my dog. Um, I have a Jack Russell. And so he thinks he's as tall as Sarge, 16 pants tall, um, and a little dog's body. And he runs under my mule and throws balls at my mule. And Sarge stands there all day long, like, and he's just part of the family. Has never lifted a leg to bother him. When I went to buy Sarge, um, I had another Jack Russell with me at the time who reached out and tried to bite him on his nose. That was my first introduction to this mule. And his response, he tried to kick us. And that is the normal response of most mules, most donkeys, is to paw, chase after, and kick a dog, especially a dog they don't know. Once right. you get to know your own dog and, and even cat, and they're part of you, they're part of the facility or, or where you're at, then they can be pretty accepting. I have experienced other meals, no matter if it was your dog or, or not, they were not going to accept them. And that is something you have to watch, um, yeah. especially on a trail. Sometimes people have their dogs on a trail and I just, you know, you never know if you come across a meal, how it's going to respond. And a lot of donkeys have been used in a guard animal capacity yes. because of that fight nature and to run off, you know, animals that are not from that farm, such as dogs. But even that mentality transfers to people. Um, you'll hear a lot of people, you know, talk about my mule doesn't like a veterinarian. It's hard to find a farrier. And that is true because the donkey and the mule, they associate that person likely with, you know, being uncomfortable or possibly pain. Um, some mules can be um, very needle shy. So I always try to, um, you know, just tell owners, you know, introduce yourself to a mule if you're going to look at one or and same thing with veterinarians and fairs. Walk up and greet them by putting your hand out, start at their head. Before you go to their neck, I feel like with horses, a lot of times we approach the neck and they're, they're fine with that. But really with a mule or a donkey, and I think the donkeys sometimes come around quicker than the mules do, let them get to know you. And then they will tell you with their body language that you can perceive. Um, I think treat work really well for mules and donkeys in that quick get to know you um, situation. So. My veterinarians, um, I have a sports medicine vet that comes out and does acupuncture and chiropractic and body work with my mule from UC Davis. And then my local practitioner, both of them, they're so smart. First time they ever met Sarge, they walked up with a treat and they gave him a treat and let him, you know, reach out to them. And, you know, he knows them and and he's fine. Um, He is exceptional in terms of he was handled from day one when he was born. So he's had a of interaction with people um and that also makes a difference how especially mules are handled when they're born um dr robert miller veterinarian probably a lot of people know for a lot of this behavior work and a lot of that stemmed from him having mules and i think veterinarians that work with mules they're better horse vets because they recognize those slight behavior changes and peculiarities um 
but really I think getting to know them and letting the mule kind of be at ease before you proceed with any farrier work, veterinary exam is a big key. I also think in some cases, it's really important for the owner to be present. Um, and the owner may have to help with, um, with their procedure. They may have to help with um, just something as easy as taking the temperature to, to mule that's very offensive. <laughs> um, yeah. And I've worked in other places. Um, we were in Mexico several years ago, and there's a young boy that came in with a big mule, and we all walked up trying to, you know, get some information. And then the mule turns into this wild creature, and it's like, what? You know, and the little boy's maybe five years old. It's super calm with him, but they do take a liking and a trust and bond with their people. And we've actually done studies looking at familiar versus unfamiliar people and just recording their reactions of mules specifically and how they respond to somebody in their body language that they don't know. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's very interesting. And you had talked about, you know, if, if they were a part of their herd, let's, let's talk a little about that because that's one of the ways that even in the wild, I mean, these are, are they handle their, society differently because you know horses as we know they have herds and they wander long dis distances but even in the wild asses are more territorial yeah that's very true um <clears throat> so we actually we have a study um looking at radio collaring donkeys and trying to understand more about their behavior in the wild um but we do know traditionally jacks the male donkey will be in charge of an area, they're territorial. And then that's where that fight response comes of another animal, another donkey, a person, maybe a dog coming into that area. They want to fight and run it away. Um, mules are interesting because they will form a herd because their mom was a horse and horses live in herds. Um, but they will never run the alpha mare mule or molly mule because um, they're going to follow a horse. That was mom for at least four, six, seven months. Yeah. Um, and that's also, I, we haven't really gotten into this, but um, some people do make the reciprocal cross. They cross a stallion with a jenny and make what's called a henny. And um, a lot of times, if you're not sure if it's a mule or a henny, the henny you will see hanging with the donkey. Because again, mom was a donkey. So we can learn a lot from their behavior in a social setting. Um, donkeys really like to have a friend there's a lot of donkey rescues and sanctuaries out there that, that will not just adopt out one donkey must adopt two donkeys and there's something to be said for that um donkeys are again they're probably even more unique and different than the mule is but you know they like their own kind and yeah. um in a social setting a jenny will have maybe two years worth of foals living with her. She'll have a current foal and then a foal that's, or, or an offspring that's maybe a year or two years old. So there's small social structures, um, but donkeys really, they're, in my opinion, similar to elephants and how they bond with one another. So people that do purchase a donkey as a companion for a horse, I think they can form a bond and a friendship, but the donkey, probably if we did an interview with the donkey, they would say, you know, I'd like to have a donkey friend too. Yeah. The horse is okay, but, and, you know, growing up, it was really interesting because we had horses, donkeys, mules. We had everything out in a big pasture. Um, and the donkey stayed together. 
and the Jennies did. And the horses were clumped together and the mules would kind of go in and out. But the mules were kind of behind the horses. And again, they've done some studies looking at how they socially disperse and who hangs out with who. But a lot of it goes back to who was their mom. And that's who they grew up spending time with. Um, Another thing I will say and mention, um, going back to mules and how sometimes as much as I love mule, they're not for everybody. Um, Yeah. Mules will really bond to a horse and they may have just met that horse on the trail, but maybe it looked like mom or they like the color or whatever it is. And they want to hang out with that horse for the rest of the trail. And some mules will show a lot of um, separation anxiety, such as braying, pawing, weaving, if they're not with um, their horse friend. And like I said, they can bond pretty quick. Um, Yeah. So that's just something to keep in mind. If you have a mule, you know, um, how it may bond and what you're going to do when it does bond with a horse friend. (laughs) And and I've got a miniature donkey and, you know, she is, when I've got her, basically I've rescued her from a situation and um, she was a yearling, had never been handled, was very sweet and came to live with the, the goats and horses and everything else we had. And it was funny, and that was when I lived in Kentucky. You could literally hear the coyotes go around our property. Mm. And so they, they would be attacking other people's dogs and cats and, you know, animals on their farms. And they would not cross foot where that donkey was. It yeah. was just amazing. Yeah, it really is amazing. It's like they know danger to stay away from the donkey. Yeah. So uh, you had mentioned that the pecking order and so forth, but let's uh, let's talk a little bit about bonding with the human because they they like their social circle, mules and donkeys, and they will recognize their humans. So how do you, you know, it's not like you can kick them out and and they require, I think, a little more human interaction. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um I feel like mules like having a job. (laughs) Um, My mule just behaves the best when he's being ridden, he's being worked. And I think, I think one reason that's also why he's done really well showing and performing is because he, he likes his job. He enjoys doing that. And a lot of that is because then he's spending time with me. Um, and, you know, he's being brushed and there's that interaction. And he will, he lives in a pasture with two mares and um, he will leave those mares a second. He hears my voice and usually brays and comes at a walk, sometimes at a trot to me. He knows my car. I can walk in the barn and call his name. He'll bray. Um, so he looks for me. And I, again, because they do have this higher level of reasoning I believe, and then just by a couple of studies that have been done, I think they associate some people with very positive interactions. Yeah. And, um, and again, I, you know, I think we're all happy maybe when we have a job or we're doing things that we enjoy doing, you know, that brings out happiness in us. And, you know, it's hard to sometimes assign human feelings to animals, but I, <laughs> I think there's definitely a, a lot of signs of contentment when mules are interacting with people they enjoy. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I totally agree. 
But okay, so we can and we can talk about this as 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 you guys can tell listening to us, we both love mules and donkeys. So <laughs> we can we can get a little chatty, but let's let's go to some of the physical aspects. If you've been a horse owner and you're getting a mule and you've, you know, maybe gone out and, and tried to learn some things, you know, either from an expert who works with donkeys and mules or whatever, there's still some physical things you're gonna have to deal with that are different. And I think I'm going to start with one of the first ones is ears. Everybody's like, oh, look at those great big ears, and they want to go rub them. And not all donkeys and mules, some of them love it. We call it mule loving. But some of them, they would just assume you're not. So how do you, how do you help convince people who want to come up and the first thing they want to do is go rub on those big ears? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like petting a dog they may not know. You don't know if it's going to bite you or not. The <laughs> dog doesn't know you. Um, and again, I think that's where it's important. You put your hand out, you let the mule approach you, you let the donkey approach you. I see more ear shyness in mules than I do donkeys. Um, but again, by that approach, running your hand up the bridge of their nose, scratching their forehead, then starting to move your way back to the ear. Um, but I think it's just something you have to caution people about that not all mules like their ears touched. And again, some of that in my opinion, um, goes back to how those mules are first handled when they're born. And um, again, there's different ideas on interacting with bulls when they hit the ground, but from a lot of years of experience, and then also experience working with mules that were handled as bulls and not, the level of trust, including being able to interact with their ears is much better and mules that had some stage of early fall handling as soon as they were born and within those few hours. Um, so again, it's just an area we have to caution. Um, and a thing we were we mentioned talking about was equipment and um, how trying to fit equipment like bridles and halters, fly masks, saddles mm -hmm. on mules and donkeys is more challenging than horses because of how their bodies shape. But along with their great big ears, their forehead is broader for the donkey and the mule. And there's now on the market quite a few bridles that you can purchase where you don't have to touch their ears and their ears nicely fit in this nice wide brow band. And then the crown piece actually hooks on the on the on side. So you don't have to smush the ears in the, the crown piece and brow band. And I think that helps. Um, yeah. but again, it's just a caution. Like, I mean a mule can even kick you standing at his shoulder, and so can a donkey. So that's something else to be aware of, and that's why it's so important they get to know you before you proceed past the head. <laughs> yeah. And again, some more of the physical things, feet. Now, some, some mules have feet that look just like horse feet. Most mules don't, and that can be a challenge to some farriers and owners. So let's talk about feet for a minute. Yeah, so the hooves of the mule ideally should be a combination of the donkey hoof, which is a very upright hoof, a long heel, a very upright toe. There's even different palmer angles to the coffin bone, the short pasture, and the long pasture because of that upright steepness. But that makes sense if you're living in a desert where it's sand. If you have a big flat hoof like a horse, it's going to sink in the sand. So that helps navigate the sand better. 
The horse, the mule will take a hoof somewhere in between a, a more round, flatter hoof, but then also that very upright hoof of the donkey. Um, a thing I see probably more common, and even my own mule, um, we're always trying to work against, is not letting the heel run under. So we still need an upright heel, but um, we don't want the heel to get too low, too flat. Again, those angles should mimic the shoulder angle, the pastern angle. A good farrier is anatomy. And look at the anatomy, the conformation of the mule, and then match the hoof to that. Um, but I think in some cases, it's kind of scary because it look, their hoof looks so different compared to a foot. Um, another thing I see a lot of times, um, some fairies will try to pull the heels together. And we don't want to do that because if we pull the heels together, then we're going to collapse um, a, a wall or, or um, a heel on the side. Um, so that's another thing we just have to be cognizant of is, is looking at the overall oval of the hoof when we pick it up. Um, again, those heels are not being pulled together. And then we're also not cutting off too much of the heel and trying to make it flat and more oblong like a horse hoof. There's a few interesting papers out, more so on donkeys and trying to understand donkey hoofs. We have hopefully an upcoming study this fall, winter, looking at biomechanics and donkeys and the loading capacity, which in horses, it's a three-point system, the toe, then the heels. And donkeys, we think there might actually be five points where they're loading and loading in terms of um, when there's pressure on the hoof during um, the gates because there, there's a point where there's pressure or weight-bearing phase and there's a non-weight-bearing phase. Um, again, in mules, we're always just kind of hedging our bet. And that's where, again, I try to step in from a professional point and do research. So we go, well, yeah, it's not a donkey, it's not a horse, but they still have their own special needs. Um, so that's just a little kind of advice I have with farriers that are starting to shoe mules. I mean, just look at the confirmation, just like you would a horse. Not all horses have the same confirmation, so you're not going to trim and shoe all of them the same way. Same thing with the mule. You're, you can do this. <laughs> so I, I think that's something important to mention. Um, I just quickly want to mention lameness in mules and donkeys since we're on the hoof subject. Granted, the lameness could run off the leg anywhere you know, in, in the limb there, but both are very stoic animals. And oftentimes when they start to show the signs of lameness and there's the gait is not balanced, um, the lameness condition is generally more advanced for them to get to that painful state to go, I hurt. So keep that in mind. Um, Abscesses are very common in donkey hooves, especially living in wetter environments. Any listeners in the Southeast now dealing you know, with the aftermath of a hurricane and, and all of that wetness, um, mm -hmm. the donkeys are going to be more susceptible to developing abscesses. Again, the abscess a lot of times will not show up until it's more advanced in the donkey. It's much larger. Maybe it's starting to separate the wall. So. Donkeys also, and some mules, again, on the same hoof topic, um, seem to be very susceptible to white line disease. So those are just a few things to keep in mind. Um, laminitis, common in donkeys and all four hooves, not just the front hooves. A lot of times donkeys will actually develop laminitis in the hind hooves before they do the front hooves. 
So that's a concern. Um, and then things like navicular disease, ring bone, side bone, we also see that in donkeys and mules, probably more in, um, in our mules, um, some of those conditions. So you may hear people say donkeys don't founder or mules don't founder and colic or things like that, but they do. They just, they're just they not going to tell us until the disease is more advanced. So keep that in mind. Yeah, that's a good point. And while we're on some of this, you know, talking about weight, you know, because they are desert animals. I mean, you, they're the original air farm. And I, I have fought a lifelong battle with this donkey to keep weight off of her. So that's something you have to really keep an eye on. Yes, trying to manage the weight of donkeys and mules is really challenging. Um, like you mentioned, Kim, they evolved from a desert. Um, I've done work with donkeys in Death Valley, and they call it Death Valley for a reason. And <laughs> donkeys thrive there. Thrive. They look amazing. Their hooves are in perfect condition. Their body weight's perfect. And you go there and it's like, what could they possibly be eating? Where's the water source? So they have evolved to, like you said, survive on nothing, be an air plant. And where we keep most of our donkeys and our mules is with a horse, maybe in a lush green pasture. And the side of the grass really adds pounds to them. So um, donkeys a lot of times will get depressed if we do put a grazing muzzle on them. Um, so managing their weight really becomes a, a balancing act and, and, and very difficult. Older donkeys seem to be predisposed to different metabolic conditions. Um, there's been a lot more research in that area and it even defined um, instead of equine metabolic disease or donkey metabolic disease because some of the insulin ACTH parameters are, are, again, different, unique for the donkey. We're working on a similar study in mules, so we know what parameters set them up for metabolic disease. But with donkeys, again, um, I would suggest grazing in the morning. Um, the sugars in the plants are the lowest at that point. Again, limiting grazing. And then trying to add exercise. We want to do everything with diet, but diet needs to be coupled with exercise. Um, mules, what's interesting with mules, um, in the beginning, especially a male mule, a gilding mule, horse mule, john mule, we've got lots of different names for the castrated male mule, um, they tend to be more challenging to keep weight on until they're finished growing. And especially if they're in a performance capacity, if they're being ridden, prepared for shows, or um, maybe even packed a lot, it might be harder to keep weight on them. Um, so I, you know, that's just something to keep in mind. And at that point, you can feed feeds like alfalfa, you can feed a higher fat diet. But once they then get to an ideal body weight, and they may be seven or eight before they do that, um, then you need to start cutting back if you are graining them the grain. Um, consider maybe less hay. Donkeys, we tend to think, can survive on 0.75 to 1% of their body weight. And again, the quality of forage will just depend on the body weight of the donkey. Donkeys. Yeah program to automatically take food that they're eating and store it as a source of fat because again in a desert it's feast or famine there's a green period in a desert believe it or not and then there's a period where there's hardly any food and naturally the donkey would break down the fat and use it as an energy source 
I also really, really caution people about putting a donkey or a mule on a very extreme diet. That can set them up for a condition called hyperlipidemia because you'll mobilize too much of their fat cells at once. So if you're going to dry lot a donkey or even a mule that's gotten obese, slowly make that transition. That's a good point. And we're, we're running probably a little longer. Of course, again, this is something that Dr. McLean and I love this topic and all of my mule and donkey friends do. And I know there's a lot of folks really interested in getting mules and donkeys as companions or just because, I mean, my donkey, it's like your mule. You walk out, she, she hollers, she'll come across the field. She wants to love on you. She wants you to love on her. I mean, they're just, they're wonderful friends to have. But, you know, there's a lot more. So I'll tell you what, if our, uh, if our listeners really want some more information, why don't you send me an email at kbrown at equinenetwork.com. And we'll have Dr. McLean come back on again and maybe cover some more things about mules and donkeys. But for now, Dr. McLean, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me, Kim. It's always great to get to talk about long ears. Yeah, we love our long ears. And thanks to our audience for listening to Equus Farm Calls and a special thanks to our sponsor, Farnham. And again, if you have any suggestions or comments for the podcast, you can send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown at equinenetwork.com. Equus Farm Calls is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC. 